Wash your hands and keep it clean. You gotta wash your hands and keep it clean. We'll flatten that curve while we're quarantined. It feels absurd, but just you wait and see. Cover your cough and if you sneeze, and then you wash your hands and keep it clean. That's right. Wash your hands, everybody. Well, good afternoon, and welcome back to our Saturday Thrive Subscribe series, COVID-19 Practice Pearls. This Saturday show is focused on providing up-to-date information and best practices, specifically um, related to COVID-19, and really to the independent practicing pharmacist and pharmacy technician. Uh, today, our hosts, Ashley Branham and Joe Moose, back again, um, are going to spend some time talking with pharmacist David Pope. Um, and for those who haven't had the chance to, to hear David speak, um, he's it's going to be a lot of fun today. Um, and he is the chief innovation officer who leads Omnisys's efforts to develop innovative solutions that really support the evolving role of pharmacy and healthcare delivery. Um, so today on this podcast, we are going to spend some time talking about billing for services provided. And I think everybody here knows how critical testing um, is to fighting this pandemic and COVID-19. Um, and our discussion today will help you also to start thinking beyond the pandemic and really about how to shape up your pharmacy for future success. Um, so with that, Joe, Ashley, thank you so much for being here today. And we look forward to learning more. Thank you, Suzanne. Appreciate you um, having us again. Um, um, we are lucky to have a, a good friend, David Pope, here with it. And David, I ha have have taught pharmacy and taught clinical pharmacy and taught into how to build services and and how to make pharmacy better and how to make our practice and our lives better and and just how to be better people. Um, and we we did this a long time before COVID uh, was ever even in my vocabulary. So it, it's good to, to virtually reunite with uh, with David again. I also have my my sidekick here and, and partner of the show, uh, Ashley. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here and glad to speak with David today. Hopefully, has some um, really good information for us um, in in terms of credentialing and um, the new opportunities that are ahead in, in the setting of of um, this COVID nineteen pandemic. So, David, welcome. Thank you so much for being on here today. Awesome. Thank you to both of you as well, Joe and Ashley. Again, such a privilege and honor, and for everyone listening today. Uh, what a uh, an interesting topic that I don't know that any of us could have ever imagined just a few months ago. Um, again, I believe it's just been over five months since this uh, virus even was uh, was, uh, was uh, has evolved. And so, all to say, so much has happened between now and then, and so much of the focus has been on pharmacists. So it's uh, an exciting topic at the same time. Yep. So question number one, David, um, since this has started, have you, you given yourself a, a bold haircut yet? <laughs> you know, it's hard to cut what you don't have. And so um, <laughs> I, I would say first and foremost, I think we've all lost a few hairs through this process <laughs> and I have not been immune to that. So um, I, 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 of course, whenever I was growing up, certainly had a, an, an incredible mullet 
um, as my, my mom just was one of her, one of the joys of her life was not only giving me a mullet, but, but curling it as well and making it what you would call a duck tail. Um, <laughs> those were some, some great days in the early eighties, that's for sure. But no bowl cut for me is that uh, don't have enough anymore to do that. <laughs> wow. I, I know. Uh, I, so I, every other day or so, I'll, I'll pick up a pharmacy journal or I'll get one of a million COVID related emails. And, and I hear that the government is, has, uh, or CMAS or some entity has said that pharmacists should be testing or they're allowing us to test, to do testing, um, that pharmacists can, you know, that they've eased off on some of the rules around telemedicine and pharmacies should be considering that and that, and some of these restrictions for application for DME and provider status and those type things have been have been eased off and, and, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm just confused by it all. Could you give us sort of a, a grand thirty thousand foot overview of of you know what has changed on the CMS regulatory standpoint and then how how does that, you know, as far as us getting credentialed or us, you know, as pharmacists or pharmacy owners, what do we need to be thinking about in terms of, of getting our our pharmacies ready to start billing and those type activities. Hmm. So um, it has been quite the whirlwind over the past uh, couple of months and even just few weeks. If we you know, fast forward um, up until now, um, much of the regulatory, uh, many of the regulatory issues have been um, have been not only identified but also solved. Um, and of course, payer side as well. There are a couple of things that were preventing pharmacists from engaging in COVID-19. Uh, first of all, it was, it was a legal uh, thing. It was, can I? And there were some states that honestly prevented uh, those types of things. And of course, um, we saw that multiple actions. What I love is that there was an end in mind approach from both the state and the federal government. The end in mind was, is, guys, we've got to actually test in the community space and how else are we going to reach the rural space if it's not for pharmacists? We have to use them. And I can't tell you how many times I heard that being on the phone with um, the Center for Disease Control, with uh, CMS uh, and the FDA, many times all at the same time. Other, and again, hearing um, uh, their desire to, to leverage pharmacists was just refreshing, uh, exciting. They would hear of the red tape. Uh, that, that pharmacists would just run up against one after one, of, of which we've all basically known for a long time. But they would say, give me a couple of days and I'll be back. And then you would see uh, a new report or a new statement from either federal or state uh, guidelines. And so much of the red tape for answering the question of can I has been erased. Um, and so, again, in the majority of the states today, you can now test for COVID-19 um, and report those results. Um, with, through a CLIA waived test. A lot went into just that one statement, again, from is it CLIA waived and can we do CLIA waived only and can I do this in my state? So many uh, layers of red tape were removed in order for that statement to be true. And then the second half is, is who's going to cover it for whenever I provide the service? And that's really the topic of the day. Uh, now that the regulatory pieces have largely been um, overcome, 
Um, now it turns to, okay, how do I actually you know, get reimbursed for this? Because one of the things we do know is that a patient is hearing on the news every day that tests are free and the federal government is covering those. In fact, they have a safety net where even if a patient doesn't have insurance, then you could actually submit it to the federal government and they'll cover it then. But what if they come to your pharmacy and you're not in network? Well, that's a different story. And so what we didn't want to do, and this is one thing that the government really focused heavily on, um, at least from their perspective and from a CMS side, they said, we do not want to set up some double standard where we're saying, pharmacist, you can test. But then ultimately, when a Medicare patient walks into a pharmacy in their hometown um, and, and, and has to pay a cash rate because Medicare wouldn't cover it in a pharmacy, that had to be rectified very quickly. And so that's been a bulk of the work that we've seen over just the past couple of weeks is clarifying um, uh, the nation's largest payer, Medicare, and what they'll cover so that patients can go, can go into your pharmacy and get tested with COVID uh, for COVID-19. So, David, let's break this down a little bit more. I mean, you've got a lot of, lot of rich material in the statements that you've just made. And, um, and maybe, uh, you know, I think from talking with other pharmacy owners, seeing what other pharmacy owners are doing, um, there's two schools. There's the, the pathway by which um, community pharmacies are partnering with maybe some local um, health departments or um, public, um, public resources to provide COVID-19 testing um, you know, as a service to the community. So um, patients are coming in and they're not um, expected any type of payment. It's just a free offering that the pharmacy is doing. Then you have a second cohort of community pharmacies that are doing just as you, uh, as you discussed. They, um, they're looking for payer opportunities. They're looking for ways to make this um, not only a service for their community, but if there are if there are means by which they can be reimbursed, they're exploring those. Um, in those two pathways, and particularly in the payment route, um, does it go beyond CMS um, payment, or are there commercial payers that you're seeing that's starting to surface, or at least consider opportunities for reimbursing pharmacies when you've gone through the proper credentialing? Yes. So. Um, you identified three pathways there. There's a, a, a collect and send where, again, I can collect the sample and then I can send that uh, out to a lab. There is a collect and test where I kind of do it all in, in the end-to-end -end process. And then there's a third, which is really just uh, outsourced, right, where I've, I've uh, allowed someone else to actually do the testing in my location, that sort of thing. Um, and so um, we can unpack each of those specific areas of can I bill for those uh, three specific pathways. But in terms of, of commercial plans, we are seeing some plans now begin to cover that. Now, there was a question of whether or not it would be on the medical benefit or the pharmacy benefit. Um, we are still seeing primarily that be on the medical benefit, which means that a pharmacist would have to get credentialed and contracted on the medical side. Um, this has actually been, you know, both a, um, uh, you know, a blessing as well as a, a you know, a, a stymieing point, honestly, because uh, what it has caused the payers, especially in the commercial space, to do is have to quickly react. We're, we've been talking to them for honestly years. Again, all of us on the call today, um, and I would venture to say everyone listening on the call today has reached out and encouraged large and small payers to be able to accept pharmacists into the network. 
And largely, it's been met with good reception, right? Um, the difference has always been primarily they have said something like, you know, we're just really trying to figure this thing out internally. So that has put that question and answering that question on hyperdrive because they also see the incredible power of the community pharmacist to be able to test in areas both in the urban space and in the rural space where they just don't have anyone else and are in desperate need of pharmacist uh, intervention. And so therefore, we are seeing adoption. I can't say that this by any means is um, widespread um, yet, but it is happening. And it started, you know, the ball that we've seen that started rolling um, months ago, uh, even again at a, at a feverish pace has really picked up quite a bit in terms of the commercial side. And so there are uh, plans out there specifically on the commercial side um, and even on the Medicaid space as well, um, where we are seeing some coverage of COVID-19 for pharmacists. But it does require credentialing and contracting just like a physician. Uh, they are, uh, pharmacists are being treated uh, in the exact same way. And so when you're credentialing, you're not going to or is there a clearinghouse like a PSAO where you sign up and they go credential you with everybody or is it on a case-by-case -case credentialing? I've got a big manufacturing plant or a big commercial plan in my area, so I'm going to go directly to my Blue Cross or Blue Shield and, and credential directly with them. So, as a, you know, there is no central system and no easy button, unfortunately, for pharmacists to be able to enroll in, in medical contracts. Now, I will say that this also occurs on the physician's side. So it's, this isn't a, you know, something that uh, pharmacists have to deal with that others do not. Um, I can recall back to my days whenever we used to uh, own and co-manage a, um, a physician's practice, and we had to go one by one um, for every single insurance. Now, again, there are some some, some gatherings of, you know, and, and some assistance that can be had there in terms of a central system. Uh, but by and large, you will need to go to each payer um, or each plan, that is. Now, um, when it comes to the actual completion of the documentation for credentialing and contracting, there are some, some uh, uh, centralized systems that, can that you can leverage at no cost for the pharmacist that will assist in that. In fact, uh, again, physicians went before us in terms of this, and so they also balked at the fact that uh, pharmacists, um, or excuse me, that physicians would have to uh, fill out the same form over and over and over again. So there actually is a system, um, and you can do this today. It's called CAQH that allows you to uh, put all of your information into one central system, and then payers or plans, as you uh, submit for credentialing or contracting with them and seek that, um, that um, they can actually dive into CAQH. Uh, every state, primarily except for Washington State, they have their own system. But this CAQH system is something that all the plans can go and get the majority of that data. Now, they also have additional forms that you'll need to fill out and complete. Again, um, uh, there are two things that they're looking at. Number one, do you meet the requirements in the bar that we have set forth within our plan and payer or pl our plan itself? And then secondarily, do we need in addition, that service in our network, again, because they do limit networks, um, again, for amongst many other reasons, including cost. And so um, there are some centralized services that you can utilize. So, David, you just described a, a fairly complex um, process in order to be able to, um, you know, seek reimbursement for this type of testing. 
um, in your opinion, has the window passed? Is it worth um, is it worth the time and the resource commitment to get that paperwork in at this time? Or do you believe that this is a pathway to um, maybe future opportunities and this is the right time to, to get in the space, begin to um, complete the appropriate paperwork and um, see what happens next? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, let me start with Medicare. First of all, majority of our pharmacies today are enrolled either for immunizations or for DME and for, um, you know, Part B uh, uh, prescriptions, all of those things as well, right? So they're enrolled either as a pharmacy or as a mass immunizer. There is something new that pharmacists will have to enroll as is a, perhaps if sometimes there are times and this is a third enrollment with Medicare, uh, but it says an independent laboratory. And so um, as an independent laboratory, uh, again, uh, pharmacists can submit um, really within just days, honestly, it's hours. Um, they promise a 72-hour window for um, an initial okay and, and, and progression through that. Honestly, we're seeing much less than that to date. Um, if you have multiple pharmacies, there are ways to be able to enroll multiple pharmacies through a uh, singular pathway. That part has been very quick, very easy. You could start today and be ready by next week, honestly. Again, assuming other things such as do you have tests, <laughs> um, do you have your uh, documentation and billing pathways set up, all, all of those things too. But when it comes to actually getting a network as an independent laboratory for Medicare, it's pretty quick. Um, now, when it comes to other uh, insurances, it will take a while. Honestly, uh, there are times when I remember even as on the physician side, this thing can take 90 days even sometimes even longer. Um, but I will say that while COVID, um, God willing, will be, you know, that, that pathway or that um, the reason for COVID-19 testing will close soon, I hope. Again, I hope that we have a vaccine very quickly. And this is something that we can all talk about in the um, as being in the past soon. However, I would recommend that all pharmacies um, uh, take a uh, take a shot at credentialing and contracting because it does the same pathway that you will take for commercial plans um, for COVID-19 is the same pathway largely that pharmacists will have to will utilize in order to test uh, for other uh, um, communicable diseases. I think about uh, if you're in the state of Florida, for example, as of July 1st, then you're able to test and uh, prescribe for flu and strep testing. Think about uh, diabetes education in many states, tobacco cessation education in a number of states. Um, same pathway that you'll utilize many times for oral contraceptive therapy, depending on which state you're in. Um, and so this is the process that you should take. Um, you should have someone dedicated within your team to understand this process. Um, all physician practices do. They call them a practice manager. Um, and so uh, absolutely, I still encourage all pharmacists to go through this, um, the credentialing process, even if the COVID window is closing, which God willing, it will soon. So could, could you give us a checklist? Let's say, um, hey, Moose Pharmacy isn't signed up for anything. What is it? I heard you say immunizations. We need to get that. Kind of walk me through the things that I need to be signing up for, looking for towards credentialing to, to provide COVID um, tests, but also to provide point of care testing in the future or to provide clinical services or, uh, you know, any of a tele, telemedicine, telehealth, any type thing that 
that uh, I could get an arrangement that the payer would be interested in paying. Mm. Yes. So a uh, couple of quick steps. Number one, define the clinical services that you want that, that, that fit within your wheelhouse, number one, that you can do. And number two, that are um, for your target population, right? And so uh, know your people, fit, uh, again, uh, define those clinical services that you know you want to do, whether that be point-of-care testing. And again, point-of-care testing is kind of like saying I bought an SUV. There, there are many different point-of-care tests out there. So define which ones that uh, you want to do that will serve your people, uh, the people that you serve the, mo uh, the most, and then, um, again, number two would be get organizationally ready. Ensure that, um, that the steps are properly taken for that clinical service. So think about you know, the point of care testing specifically. You need to know what your state requires of you. Um, of course, CLIA is, an, is a stepwise approach for that. We know that CPESN and others have done a wonderful job of creating a stepwise approach for getting your CLIA waiver. Um, but it's in order to do CLIA waive tests. And so part of getting organizationally ready is also determining where am I going to get these and source these tests. Um, again, if you want to do COVID-19, there are several tests out there that are CLIA waived. And so depending on what time uh, you listen to this podcast, uh, that, that, may, that list may change. And so um, keep up to date with the CLIA waived tests to become organizationally ready. You'll then, uh, again, um, I'll come back to being organizationally ready in just a moment. But the third thing is to identify the payers that are in your area that you want, that you're going to seek credentialing and contracting for. And so, um, again, you will want to, to uh, reach out to those, uh, those payers. I do not recommend just calling the 1-800 number. <laughs> um, there are resources out there. Uh, such as the training center that we offer and other pieces that will give you a guided approach, right, towards engaging a, a plan, um, who to call, uh, what forms to fill out, all of those things. And so as you start that process, that gives you a little bit more time to come back to getting organizationally ready. And that allows you then at that point in time to be able to define how you're going to submit uh, the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the claims for these, the documentation, whatever you do, that's your time to be able to fill out for that as well as finally just your organizational workflow of uh, point of care testing specifically. Uh, when I think about uh, uh, COVID-19 testing, many times that's done outside the four walls of the pharmacy, it represents an entirely new uh, workflow for all of us. And so I, that during that time of getting this clinical service uh, um, agreements with payers and plans, you can begin to process accordingly those other pieces. David, you recently, uh, I think, um, wrote the Mythbusters article, um, which we want to make sure um, that the listeners have access to so that they can um, kind of walk through some of those key myths and some of those you've touched on today. And, and I think that'll be a really good resource um, to further define, you know, um, how to navigate this, this crazy territory right now and, and, and where to go from. Thought that was a good piece. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, there. You know, with with any new process, especially when it comes to clinical services and getting credentialed and contracted, there are always going to be myths and rumors out there of this is the way you can do it, or it can't be done, or it can't be done. Um, and so we tried to identify that in that article. Again, one of the primary uh, myths that we see out there is that credentialing is some quick and easy process. I wish I could say that you can sign one piece of paper 
and then all of your um, your medical um, uh, credentialing or excuse me contracting is done um, through an easy button. And unfortunately, we're not there yet. But again, neither are the physician side <laughs> as well. And so it does take some persistence and time uh, for that, but uh, it is well worth that time. That's just one of several myths that we highlighted within that, uh, that article. But again, um, it is well worth the process. Uh, but again, um, it's important to do your own research uh, to determine, again, how you can get in the network because it is possible, um, but there is no necessarily easy button. There is not an easy button uh, at this time. We were yeah, really hoping for better news. <laughs> we were hoping you were going to say it's quick and easy and painless and free. <laughs> we, we, we had you on the show because we thought you had a magic bullet. Um, well, so it, it's uh, the CAQH. Can we just Google CAQH to to, to get to that? Uh, platform that you talked about, CAQH.com, how would I find that? Yeah, just Google CAQH and uh, start that process. One of the things that you'll notice within the CAQH process, and perhaps, and this is also a common myth, um, it, one of the things you'll notice is that CAQH is about you, the pharmacist, not your pharmacy. Uh, uh, medical contracts, by and large, again, we do see both sides of this, but by and large, um, mimic the physician's contract side, which are on an individual basis. In other words, it is about um, uh, uh, Joe, not Moose Pharmacy, and Ashley, and not Moose Pharmacy. So again, um, CAQH is about you, and so it will ask you a lot of questions about you. <laughs> um, that is one reason why you'll see that, again, if the questions are about you, it's not necessarily easy for someone to to do this on your behalf, right? Because this is about where you went to school and your um, uh, mid-level certificates and or uh, post-training, all of those things, those things matter. And those things are documented in CAQH. And so um, as you go through the CAQH process and you fill out the forms about you, again, this is just in a generic format, never gonna say, who do you wanna submit this to, Blue Cross Blue Shield or, or any other group like that. Um, that will be about you. You will then reach out to the payer or the plan that you want to engage with, and you'll tell them, uh, it will give you an ID number for CAQH, and you will tell them, it's usually the first question on the form, what is your CAQH ID number? And again, that, that credentialing process also um, is an individualized process for you. Now, of course, you have to have a practice site, and that practice site will uh, likely be your pharmacy. Um, but again, uh, it'll be an individual basis uh, both for the CAQH process and, of course, the credentialing contracting, by and large. There are some exceptions to that rule, of course. And if you are if you are credentialed, then you can possibly have the payment routed to your provide your pharmacy or whoever the the payer entity is, is um, or at least that's the way it is in the the contracts that we've done through this way. So although it's Absolutely. the individual pharmacist that gets credentialed the payment still went to the pharmacy. That's right. So one of the concerns that we had way back when, whenever the, the physician's practice was started was once we realized that uh, insurance contracts were going to be with the individual provider, of course I said, well, does the provider, are they gonna have to cut us a check <laughs> in some way, shape or form? And rest assured, the uh, while the, the contract 
and the agreement is with an individual pharmacist, it, the, the payment, of course, comes back to the facility. Well, David, I wish we had more time on this because I know I definitely need to learn more on it. Um, we will have in the show notes, uh, we will have uh, contact information for David as well as uh, his myths, uh, the myths uh, article that he's written that, that I thought was so, was so good about just credentialing and um, and a way to get in touch with David if you have questions or interest in in uh, doing credentialing for your pharmacy. I know that there's just there's a lot of a lot of uh, uncertainty out there on what we are to do, and there's also a lot changing as soon as you you figure out the game, they change the rules. So it's nice to have somebody who's helping us stay on top of all this. And, and we appreciate your time today and, and appreciate your your insights and knowledge. And as always, good, good chatting with you. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.